And we are live on the YouTubes. Welcome to the uh, PFG Live for Sunday, uh, January 8th. Kevin, welcome aboard. Happy New Year. Almost machining, welcome aboard. And uh, appreciate any video and audio checks from you guys. Brian, welcome aboard. Nice to see you all. We have some surprises for you uh, today. Well, uh, it's been a week. <laughs> it's good to see you guys. We missed... Uh, thank you, Kevin. Kevin says we sound and look good. We missed uh, one week because of Christmas, another week because of New Year's. Thank you, almost. And, uh, and then last week, I was down for the count and uh like you have to say these days it wasn't covid so <laughs> i had this miserable head cold uh that kept kept me down but i discovered i discovered a combination henry welcome aboard oh thanks brian i appreciate it yeah while i was uh, recovering i had time to work on the tech here and we got stuff uh, really sorted, and I'll I'll share that with you in a few minutes. Um, but the, the combination of uh, guaifenesin, uh, hot sauce, and chicken soup, absolutely unbeatable. And you can combine the hot sauce and the chicken soup into hot and sour soup from your favorite Chinese restaurant, and that is totally legal. So, uh, let's see, looking at our control panel, everything's looking great. So, we'll give it a few minutes for uh, the late check-ins, and then we'll get underway here. Today, uh, amongst other things, I'm going to be giving you a report on my coolant temperature control experiment. Much was learned. And I will share all that with you. Um, and uh, in addition to the technology we're using for streaming. Henry got sick after his last work day before Christmas. Of course. Of course. Right? That's when it has to happen. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better. I hope you're back to 100%. I'm claiming 90% right now. Uh, but I hope you guys uh, came back. Hey, hey K-Bonk is here. Sunday fun day. Welcome aboard, sir. I have to say, here in New Hampshire, it is severe clear, about 30 degrees, and gorgeous. So, I'm really happy about the weather. Um, and we'll get weather reports from you guys, I'm sure, as you check in. <laughs> so, let's see, where are we? 103. At 105, we'll, we'll, get, on to, uh, we'll get on to the uh, agenda here. I saw some nice posts from folks this week rain 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 in oregon according to kevin let's see i i don't know if i have this set up properly oh there you go it's not bad there's your chat window uh let's see i saw some nice posts from well aaron uh, walla do you guys know who aaron walla is uh, he posted an interesting project that he was working on on the grinder, and uh, hopefully he'll check in today. I don't know if he will, but we'll see. Uh, hey, Tuck, welcome aboard, sir. Hey, uh, what's going on in Buffalo? Is it like 600 feet of snow? <laughs> K-Bonk is reporting 42 and sunny in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That is awesome. I, I'm waiting for the Tuck report, though. I, I need to know what's going on in Buffalo. <laughs> Hey, Chris, welcome aboard. So just in case you guys are curious, uh, there's a measured 25-second lag time between what, what I'm sending out and what you're seeing. So if it takes me a minute to get back to you, that's why. And it turns out on YouTube, uh, you get to choose uh, low latency versus high quality so if i choose low latency that number will shrink but the the quality will will be reduced so we're not we're not doing that we need quality 
so let me get into some of the tech I've learned this week uh, about the streaming hardware. The first thing I learned is trying to stream in 4K is a nightmare. So the camera that I'm using, which is a Nikon Z30, that's new, overheats uh, trying to transmit 4K. Uh, the bandwidth required to push 4K up to YouTube is astounding. I think it was 20, over 20 megabits a second. Tuck says, almost all the snow in the Buffalo area melted away with the warm weather. Bigger snow piles still hanging around. That's amazing. Uh, Kbok is uh, seeking anyone having any experience with a handheld steam generator. I have no idea what that is. But somebody will pipe up and say they do. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, so... Uh, We've got the Nikon Z30. We decided that 4K is right out. Did many experiments at 4K. Uh, they're, they're on unlisted YouTube videos. It was too much. So we are now transmitting 1080p. Uh, very nice quality. Cameras at 1080p. We're, we're pushing 1080p out. And everything's working really well. Almost machining... Oh, almost is trying to help out with the uh, with the steam generator. Uh, Henry says it was 16 degrees Celsius at New Year's Eve over here in Germany. 16 is is pretty warm for uh, New Year's Eve. Yeah, I think it's it's weird weather all over uh, this time around. So uh, to finish off the tech, we've got the Nikon Z30. We've got OBS running, and uh, we're up. Obviously, we're upstairs in the office. The other thing. That has been a real win. Hey, uh, Robert, uh, Bob Labs is here. Happy New Year. Nice to see you. Um, we're now running on a computer which can handle all the video. I mean, absolutely without breaking a sweat. And last time when we had Aaron on, we were running on a Mac Mini. <laughs> and we crushed it. We destroyed the Mac Mini. So... Uh, uh, we're now on a computer. This is my engineering computer that I use for CAD work. And if we if this didn't handle it, we could use the engineering computer I use for simulation work. Somebody said to me yesterday, that'll handle 24 cameras. And it will. So uh, we're good. Well, welcome aboard. So uh, we have a surprise for you today <laughs> to, to make up for my... Uh, hot steaming pile of streaming uh, last time with Aaron, which we, it was great from an information standpoint, but from a video quality uh, standpoint, it was horrible. So that's what led to this big push to get the, get the tech figured out, and, and we have. So without uh, further delaying the surprise, uh, please welcome aboard Mr. Aaron Walla. Happy Sunday, guys. <laughs> All the way from, what's your hometown? I live in Minneapolis. 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 And it's about 15 degrees here right now. <laughs> well, 15, which 15? We have to, you know, we have international views. Okay, very good. So it's a little colder. A little on the chilly side. A little on the chilly side, but uh, nice to see you. So uh, I, I brought you in early. We're going to talk a little bit about your follow-up. Uh, on your grinder selection. I know Aaron is looking to buy another grinder uh, for his home shop that he's building. Um, I have some reports on the coolant heating project. So I think I'm going to give the give that report and uh, Aaron can comment on it. Um, the guys in chat are like, this. we're solving the problems of the world right here. Okay. With, uh, <laughs> and that, that makes me very happy. By the way, I use... Uh, I don't know what you're using for uh, making steam. I, I We use uh, humidifiers in the bedrooms, and they're ultrasonic. And then we use distilled water in the ultrasonics, and they, they run forever. That's a little, a little hint. And, Do you run uh, distilled water in your coolant tank? Excellent question, sir. We run distilled water in the coolant tank. So I, I run only distilled water in our coolants. 
I got a question this week about using um, reverse osmosis water, RO water. And I agreed that that would be fine for coolant. The problem with RO water, and the reason I don't use it, is that it has a very low um, efficiency. So to make, a, to make a gallon of RO water, you throw away as much as two gallons of, of water. So I didn't like that, especially being on a well. So we do not use RO water. I know uh, uh, Saunders Machine Works uses RO water. Grimsmo uses RO water. Um, if as long as you understand the efficiency of of how much RO water you get for how much water you dump, fine. But uh, for me, I would rather use uh, the still and make distilled water. And I've got I've got coolant that I've been running for a decade, and I haven't had any issues. And you said you're making distilled water. I'm curious about that. Yeah, I I held back. <laughs> As you might imagine, I wanted to go, you know, crazy. But uh, I'll talk about deionized uh, Kevin also. Uh, we we literally have a one gallon still down in the basement. It's made by Mega Home, I think, which is a play on Mega Ohm of resistance and and home. Um, they're nice. They're stainless. They last a long time. We have burned up. We're on a third one, I think, which is fine because they'll go they'll go like three years and they're not expensive. So our rule in the house is if you go in the basement, check the <laughs> check the still. So we we save the blue, you know, the blue water cooler containers. Yeah, sure. So our Taekwondo school went went through those like crazy. So I have about a dozen of them. So we fill those up from the still. So. It, we make now we're not doing production this is the big thing right we're not in a production shop so we make enough distilled water one gallon at a time to take care of all of our coolant needs and and that's worked out really well but i'm a big fan of distilled water um yeah that's something i uh i've been meaning to look into because i plan to run it in my grinders at home my previous grinder my current grinder uh isn't set up for coolant so yep. I was, you know, envisioning buying it at least initially to get set up. But sounds like that's a better option. Um, hang on, we're gonna. I got to do one tech thing here. You watch the chat while I fix our audio <laughs> problem here. Um, I started hearing a little feedback. This is live, folks. So there we go. There we go. That'll that'll work. So uh, there's a question in the chat. What is the benefit of distilled water for the coolant from Henry? So the big benefit of the distilled water is no minerals. Um, and what happens is if you put water in your tank, uh, I'm sorry, if you mix up coolant, right, you put coolant in your tank, you lose coolant one of two ways. One way is evaporation, and the other way is carry out. Carry out is when, you know, you, your parts are wet, you take them out, you're, you're, you're losing coolant um, that way. And there's nothing you can do about that uh, except to be a little a little disciplined about dripping your parts off into the, in the machine. But the second, the second way you lose it is evaporation. And uh, evaporation usually takes away water, but not the, the coolant. So your coolant concentration starts creeping up. Then you go and you, you pour water in. And by the way, these days, especially with... I'm using Qualichem, uh, which I've talked about before. Uh, you could just dump, dump more water in and, and bring your um, concentration back up. The problem is, when the water evaporates, if there were minerals in the water, those minerals stay. So over time, your mineral content goes up and up and up, and eventually it will kill your coolant. So if you use distilled water, there's no minerals. So it it goes forever. That's sure, the benefit. Kill the, kill the pump, too. We have a serious issue of hard water in my house, and um, it just leaves 
leaves a nasty film on it on everything and you know it just it will build up and it'll wear stuff out i mean there's and and the hard water the, the film that you're see you see like white crusty stuff yep yeah that's minerals yeah and and that will eventually uh a high mineral content will will uh, hurt the coolant yeah and i figured you know that stuff will get on everything i mean when you're running coolants on the grinder it splashes you know it could get you could get on the ways or anything yep. you know i wouldn't be too worried about a little bit of coolant but if that those minerals build up i'm sure it could be damaging to just about anything and, and i could report that it's 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 an absolute non-issue with distilled water it's a joy yeah. um, and k says that you can use dehumidifier water to accomplish the same thing so i'll say cautiously yes um and dehumidifier water theoretically is is distilled water right you're distilling water out of the air uh, i mean you're you're condensing water out of the air there's two issues one issue is if if the metal of your dehumidifier is corroding which unfortunately does happen then that that ends up in that water and the second issue is uh stuff that is lighter than water like um like solvents that are in the air even you know even at a low concentration they're going to end up in your dis distillation wow so one of the ways that gets dealt with is with a carbon filter in series with your distilled water production if you look at some of the in fact the one i have uh the the water gets gets uh co condensed in the coil and then it, it goes through a little thing where you're supposed to have a little carbon filter so you you're distilling the water leaving behind the heavy stuff right but it could have light solvents in it then it goes through the carbon filter the carbon filter grabs the the uh organics we're not worried about it because I'm running off a well. And frankly, if I get yeah. some organics in my coolant tank, uh, I guess what I'm about to do, I'm about to put a bunch of organics in my coolant tank. So that, those are the things. But otherwise, yeah, you could say, you could use your dehumidifier water. I don't see why not. Uh, almost says you condense dust out of the air as well. And that is also true. Uh, not condense, but I know what you're saying. Well, dust um, on the surface grinder is basically the baseline. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, somebody asked the question. I'm trying to find it. Um, oh, Henry says, maybe our water here is really clean. I have none of those issues. It is very possible that, especially if you're on city water, uh, that is not hard and is uh, instead of being chlorinated, a lot of cities are using ozone to uh, to uh, disinfect water. So if your water is not hard and it's ozonated, it could be glorious. So we test our water. I know exactly what's in, in the water. Uh, I'm sure you, you've tested your water at your house, Aaron, right? <laughs> not for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, it's not expensive to do um we found a really good water lab and testing your water just tells you everything you need to know if your water's hard well you know your water's hard because you're seeing the yeah you're seeing the stuff we have a water softener that helps a little bit so let's talk a little bit about that uh when i lived one town over okay I had it. We had a well. That's the that's the house where I built my own shop. That was I, I really missed that shop. That was really nice. Yeah. Uh, but we had kids. It was a busy road, so it wasn't a good place for kids. But it was a great place for my shop. But we had to move. So that's when I got my first CNC machine. Was in that shop, and I started getting some corrosion around the spindle and of course this was the sharp uh vmc and of course now i'm going crazy because this is my brand new machine and i see a little bit of 
spider corrosion. And I was using... Um, uh, Brian brings up a good point. He says it's super cheap by the gallon at the grocery store. It is. And you can, when I first filled my coolant tank for the Sharp, I went to the grocery store and I talked to the manager and I said, I'm going to need 40 gallons of distilled water. He said, we call that Wednesday. We'll see a Wednesday. I'm like, okay. I showed up on Wednesday and he had 40 gallons of distilled water for me and it was not expensive. So that is a good source. Uh, but getting back to the story, I was I got started, I think I was using trim coolant. So I, I yeah, it's Watergate. This is... This is the Watergate episode. So, uh, Henry says, our city water is not chlorinated, and I don't know if it gets an ozone treatment. Check it out, because I think the ozone treatment is brilliant. Um, it, it takes care of a lot of problems. But anyway, I, I started waving my fist in the air, and I said, ah, trim coolant, it's awful. It, blah. So I switched to Hankstifers, and... Uh, S388, which was a corn oil derived coolant, no dyes, no um, fragrances. And it was a good coolant. But it started leaving sludge on the machine. And anyway, long story short, to solve the corrosion problem. I couldn't figure out why I was getting corrosion. So I had an I had a softener put in. I'm like, oh my water's hard. So I had a softener put in and I'm getting more corrosion. So finally I looked for a uh a water nerd. In fact that's exactly what I did. I, I went around I said asked everybody I knew, do you know a water nerd? And I started making calls. So I call these labs and I'd say I'd like to talk to your water nerd. And and they said, well, I think I used a little more, you know, clearer language. But they said, oh, well, uh, you just drop off your thing. We take it. We do your. T-. I said, yeah. Do you do the testing in-house? Oh, you just drop off the. St-. I said, do you do the testing in-house? Uh, no, we send it to this lab. Goodbye. Pick up yeah. the call again. Finally, I got this lab. This guy answers the phone. I said, look, I'm looking for a water expert. He said, how can I help you? (coughs) Excuse me. And uh, I said, I'm looking for a water nerd. He says, I'm a water nerd. (laughs) I'm like, really? He says, yeah. He says, I'm the in-house chemist. I have a PhD in water chemistry. My name is, uh, (coughs) excuse me, my name is Nelson. And it was Nelson Labs. I'm like, where are you? He told me where he was, which was about five miles north of me. I said, can I come visit you? He said, yes. Vroom, I, I headed up. Sure enough, this guy was, in fact, a water nerd. And he <coughs> he tested my water, and then we both stared at the results. I told him the whole story, all the gory details. And finally, literally after 45 minutes of talking and looking at the numbers, you could almost hear the light bulb go on in his head. He says, I think I got it. I said, what's that? He says, look down the list on the test. You see it says chlorides? And I said, yeah. And there was, I don't remember the number. Let's just say it was 50 parts per million or 100 parts per million of chlorides. I said, yeah, is that a problem? He says, it passes the water quality test, but that little bit of chlorides combined with your slightly acidic water, also totally within the parameters, he says, I think that's your corrosion. And I'm like, where's the chloride coming from? And he says, we are seeing this in wells all over the state that are near highways that treat with salt. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh. So, you know, earlier somebody said, you know, why do you use distilled water? You're starting to see how I arrived at distilled water? Yeah, but Uh, didn't you say that when you first set up the machine, you used only distilled water? Not when I 
first set up the machine. Okay. This was before I got smart. This is how I arrived at the stilled water. So I told, you know, oh, the, the act of softening the water made it worse. I, I don't remember That's all salt. the water chemistry, but it wasn't the salt. It no. was... It was the act of softening the water. Like I said, this guy was a PhD. I right. cannot recall to you everything he said. Yeah. So, but that was my eye-opening experience with water quality, right? So finally, I dumped the coolant. I don't remember. I think, I don't exactly remember when I started using, when, when I dumped all the non-distilled water. But, oh, yes, I do. That's that's when I changed coolants is when I dumped the old coolant and I started with the new coolant with distilled water. All the problems went away. That's pretty good. But but the Hankstifers had a different problem, and that was it was leaving this brown sludge on stuff and it, it was impossible to clean. I later learned that that was the all-natural corn oil that was oxidizing and it was really hard. So then I fired Hankstifers for good cause. And ha we had to clean the machines with isopropyl alcohol. The only thing that cut the brown sludge was isopropyl alcohol. And then eventually we switched to the Qualichem XC250. And that has been perfect. That plus distilled water. Now... Um, one of the things that I always got a kick out of um, was this the, the the super fancy coolant, the clear stuff. What is that called? Um, the stuff from Switzerland. I don't know. Uh, the use at work is clear, at least on the grinders. Yeah, the stuff that uh, Titans of CNC with a blazer, blazer, seven thirty-five. It's Ooh. clear. Yeah, boom. Right, I, whatever. Uh, it's clear. Uh, yes, uh, Henry says he needs to get a skimmer. Uh, that's another topic. I'm not going to get into skimmers. But if you notice, when, when you use the Blazer coolant, they require you to use distilled water. And I look at that and I'm going, yeah, most of this is the distilled water. <laughs> So yeah. that was that that's my distilled water story. So if I haven't sold everybody on distilled water, I'm not doing my job here. We had a we had an issue like that at work where um we don't use distilled water on anything and um you know, we got these new many axis lathes and they were threading some parts and the bottom, the root of the threads was getting this white film. And uh, just the same kind of thing, you know, like, yeah, it took a long time to yeah. solve that mystery. And they ended up being able to um, change the change the ratio and get that solved. But, you know, it's it's something that you could only even see under magnification. So it's not something you would normally look at. But the customer yeah. Yeah. The, once you once you start using distilled water, and uh, Kevin asks, deionized? No, it's not. There's no special deionization process uh, in in the stuff that I use. So we have not addressed deionized at all. And I I know that you asked that twice. I'm sorry, Kevin, that I didn't answer that. Um, and I have some history in in uh, bio lab chemistry, and I understand deionization. But no, uh, just distilled, cheap, cheap and dirty. Um, so th there you go. The, the, oh, the the final point I I was going to put on it was, if you start with distilled water, it's like a clean baseline. There's no questions. There's no mysteries. There's no nothing. If I use distilled water and Henry uses distilled water and Kbonk uses distilled water and Aaron uses distilled water, everybody's using the same thing. So I think that's most of the, th this is a bold statement. I'll make it anyway. 
bold, sweeping, unjustified statement. I think 90% of the, the issues we hear about with coolants is the water. How's that? Oh, oh, here's another pet peeve. You know how you hear, oh, you should mix the first batch. You could use distilled water for makeup, but you should mix the first batch with tap water because it needs the minerals. Okay. That's complete bullshit. Okay. What it is, is the coolant manufacturer says, okay, these guys are going to use tap water. So we're going to add chemicals to compensate for the crap in the tap water. Okay. And, and, and that's why you have to use tap water because they're already compensating. Okay. So the, the whole tap water thing is like out the window. I don't believe it. So maybe it makes sense to use something that was designed to be used with distilled water. Um, well, I know that the blazer is, and then experientially, I could tell you that the uh, the QualiChem has just been bulletproof, like from day one. The QualiChem has never seen tap water, and it's been. I literally, I have. I've been living here twelve years. I filled that coolant tank once, so I have an existence proof, and that that coolant is just going and going and going. You anyway. still had to top it off, though, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I top it off with distilled water. I add coolant as necessary. Oh, the other thing that I don't do not do anymore is I don't, like, make a bucket, mix a, the coolant, then dump it into the... It's like, what am I putting in the machine today? Am I putting water in or am I putting coolant in? And I put it in, and that's it. And let it. I let the system run, and that's been no problem. I think in the old days... I think the maybe older coolants were very sensitive to how you mix them. And you had the oil in last rule, O-I-L, spells oil, right? Oil in yeah. last. And I just, I totally ignore that, and it's been fine. Uh, Henry says, I think uh, deionized water is a bad idea. I know that deionized water will pull ions from other materials. Um, I don't have any experience in that, but... He said yeah. it with confidence. Yeah, he did say it with confidence. I think that he gets points. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would say that I, the fact that I've completely ignored that and have not been bitten by it, I'm not sure it's important, but we'll see. Yeah, Brian says I let the pump do the mixing too. Exactly. Yeah, so do I. Uh, it's funny, while the, while the grinder's running, when I'm making PFG stones, uh, I look at the side of the tank. There's a little sight glass, and I'll go and I'll dump in a, four gallons of water while it's running, and you know it all gets mixed up and it's fine. So, there you go. One issue wow. that, that I've had. I, sorry, go ahead. One issue I've had with coolants is that at work our grinders only have, for the most part, ten gallon coolant tanks, and the grinders aren't assigned to any particular person. We all have ones that we like, but when you when you come to a grinder, you don't necessarily know how full the coolant tank is. Now, if you have to do really fussy work, you don't want to have to add water in the middle of your process because the water we use is coming from you know just a tap, and yeah. it's colder than the coolant that sits just in the ambient air temperature. Yep. And so, if you if you just add a couple of gallons, four or five gallons of cold tap water to, you know, to the opening of the coolant tank and you don't, you know, you don't mix it. That thing's going to shock your part small. Yeah. You, go, you know, you might, you might mark up your part with Sharpie and go to do a finish pass and it doesn't even touch it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Which is a very good segue. I did. And I will point out to everybody that I did not pay you to say that, but <laughs> this this brings up the coolant temperature uh, project. Because sure. Kevin, Kevin, who also is playing right into your hand here, Kevin mm -hmm. says, has raising the temperature on your coolant increased evaporation rate? Funny, we should talk about this. So when we last met our coolant tank, uh, I had put a piece of insulation under it. I wrapped it with uh, the silvered uh, bubble wrap 
uh, insulation. And then I added a couple of heaters. Now, let me just, I, I have some show and tell here. This is one of the, this is one of the heaters, okay? This is a 200 watt magnet heater. So this is meant to go like on a, uh, on the oil pan of a, of a snowmobile or whatever, uh, to heat it. It's got these magnets on it, right? So I took two of these and I, I started with one of them and I observed that it was like a candle in a hurricane. So then I bought a second one. So then I had two of them. Now we're up to, this is 200 watts. We're now we're up to two of them on either side of the tank. <coughs> and that's 400 watts. So I've been living with 400 watts on the tank. And I've left it on. This has been like like three weeks in cold temperatures. And can you adjust the temperature on those at all? Uh, the, so this is not this is not a controller. It's it, okay. it's just a heater. Uh, then there's a separate controller, which is uh, obviously downstairs, made by a company called Inkbird. Um, it's a chi Chinese sourced, inexpensive controller. <clears throat> I will put all these links in. Uh, I think I've put them in in previous videos, but I'll put them in the information uh, for this video when I post it to YouTube. And so I've had this 400 watts of heating power by magnets right on the side of the coolant tank. And this controller is set to 68F for three weeks. And I can tell you that it has never reached 68F. Uh, when I did a big batch of stones on Friday, it got up to 62, 63, you know, with the machine running. Never saw 68 degrees. So basically, I had these two four uh, these two 200 watt heaters running full time for three weeks. My my wife said to me today, "Did you see the electric bill?" <laughs> and I said, "Why?" She says, "It jumped up." Now we make solar electric, right? We have panels on the roof, so it's it could have been worse. So that told me I'm doing it wrong. Okay. Um. Henry says, Henry says, a customer of ours has machines that are made of stainless steel and there is deionized water running over them all the time. After a few years, you can barely drill a hole in the stainless or bend it. Oh my God, you invented a hardening process. Um, <laughs> Only takes a couple of years. Yeah. So, so I learned a couple of things from my experiments. One is, is that 400 watts of heat on 30 gallons of coolant is is pissing into the wind uh did not help what so made, i go what ahead made you try to heat up the you know the coolant tank versus the the water itself well it's a recirculating system right you have your yeah. coolant tank and if it's cold it's going to stay cold uh until until the machine warms it up, um, but you get that shock, right? You get the you get you get fifty degree coolant blasting on your machine. Yeah. Now, I I I put two thermocouples on the on the machine: one on the base, one on the column. Okay, on the surface of the column, surface of the base. When I turn the heat on in the shop, that machine warms up pretty well. I see that I see the, the the grinder itself comes up to temperature pretty pretty reasonably quickly not not crazy quick um, but the coolant doesn't the coolant the 30 gallons of coolant is just doesn't move so I decided to go with more watts <laughs> and this is a uh, and this is probably what Adam Demuth was talking about. This is an aquarium heater that it, that submerges in the coolant. Okay, this attaches to the outside of the tank, and I think the efficiency of of the magnet heater is just it's just not very good. In fact, when it was on the side of the tank, you could put your your finger on top of the the surface here, right, 
and it was hot. Well, if this was hot, that was heat that wasn't going out this face. So the efficiency of these is low. So this is a submerged heater. You can see there's got suction cups that allows it to be suction cup to the glass of an aquarium. Uh, this is meant to be submerged, and this is 800 watts. I actually had a look around for one that was not 1,500 watts. They had, there's a lot of 1,500-watt heaters. So this one is 800 watts. This one will be submerged, which means the efficiency of this thing heating up the coolant should be much higher. So there's, I got two things going for me, double the power and higher efficiency. Now, also in my plan is I'm not leaving them on all the time. So what I'm hoping is if I don't grind all week and then I, I show up at the grinder on Friday, you know, maybe Thursday night or early Friday morning, I turn the, the heating system on and the 800 watts with higher efficiency now has enough poop to, to push the temperature of the coolant up. And it will, it, will, it will go to 68 degrees and stop. And that's where the room thermostat is set to. So here's to hoping that experiment is coming. And so which side of the coolant tank are you putting that on? Um, it will be uh, the only one that's convenient, <laughs> which is, which is the, the back side of the tank has a little hatch. So it's going to get shoved in the little hatch. Uh, and yes, uh, Brian, it will be submerged in coolant. Um, don't panic. Uh, K-Bonk says, where is the return on the on your tank? So the return is closer to the front of the tank. Okay, it dumps it through the filter paper, you know, the, the continuous filter paper. So it, it, that's in about one-third of the way into the tank. And where I'm going to put the heater is about seven-eighths of the way to the back of the tank. So the flow would be going over the heater and into the pump. Yeah. Um, and we'll see what happens. All I want to see is the ability of this thing to heat it, heat it up enough to hit the magic control point of 68 degrees. Yeah, I'm glad you're doing all this testing before... <laughs> <laughs> before you have to spend money. <laughs> <clears throat> well, it, you know, well, you, you, you know, cause you're doing it professionally, but, uh, we don't think about the stuff in milling, but yeah. as soon as you're talking tenths and uh, you start looking at temperatures and boy, it's like, not only is this stuff pasta as Robin says, right? Yeah. No, I say pasta. He says rubber. <laughs> uh, not only is it rubber and pasta, but it's, you know, cold, or hot and growing and shrinking and yeah so i'm trying to get a little bit of a control on it yeah that that drives me crazy at work sometimes because a lot of times i'll have a lot of parts to grind and they might a very common tolerance in mold making is plus nothing minus two tenths so any shutoffs have to be within that tolerance wow and you can spend all day grinding parts and they'll all come in you know one two tenths under and then you come in the next day and you check them again. Now you're like plus a tenth. Yep. So it's something that, you know, I kind of have learned to use Kentucky windage to figure out. Yeah, exactly. I, I've kind of have a better feel for it after years of doing it, but it's, you know, it's a real issue. Like getting the coolant to the right temperature could make a big difference. And I published this a few weeks ago. Um, the, heat capacity of water is 10 times the heat capacity of cast iron. So it would, what that means is if we take a volume of water and the same volume of cast iron, it takes 10 times less energy to raise the temperature of the cast iron than oh. it does to raise, to raise the temperature of the water. <laughs> well, that's not great for us. <laughs> so if you're doing your grinding, and you're like you already pointed out, and you're blasting yeah. fifty degree coolant on your part, which has been sitting on the bench, right? It's been sit so now that your part is made of steel, it's sitting on the bench. 
your shop is obviously perfectly temperature controlled <laughs> to 68 or 20 C mm-hmm. for, for Henry. Uh, and then you start blasting your cold stuff on it and it shrinks and you grind and now you're done grinding and it grows. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Brian is concerned. Brian has a concern. I think we should address Brian's concern. He is concerned about coolant attacking the heater material. So, uh, I could taste this and figure out what kind of plastic it is. So this this plastic I could probably get rid of. Uh, believe it or not, and I'm not making this up. You're going to think I'm making this up. This is, what does that say right there? You get 100 watt titanium heater. Titanium. So the answer is it's titanium. It says corrosion corrosion resistant extended. So this is meant for saltwater tanks. So it's actually a pretty nice unit. It was not terribly expensive. I'll put the information. Uh, and they probably only coated it, covered it in plastic because of fish, not wanting yes. fish. Yes. And, and, and the plastic, let's see if I can show you this here. Hang on. You can unsnap it. There it is. Yeah, okay, so you can just pop it right off. So I could pop that right off. Um, it is actually, it's pretty nice. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, it's made in China, but I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. So we'll see what happens. And what's the, the worst that happens is I pop a, I pop a GFI breaker and, you know, I learned my lesson, but I'm not too concerned about it. Um, so I'm excited to see what that does. We'll yeah, see what happens. GFCI circuit on your uh, coolant tank? Um, that's a good question. I might because it's in a garage and code says outlets in a garage have to be GFCI. I, okay. It's different here. It's just only near windows, I think, or sinks. Yeah, I I don't remember. but At least, at least it better be because I just put in like, 79 GFCI. <laughs> well, well, we have GFCI breakers. Yeah. And those, they're expensive, but you're not putting in 10 of them. So, I don't know. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Almost Machining says, it is a light bulb. You are correct, sir. It is a very weak light bulb. A 900 watt, 800 watt light bulb. Uh, water is a great thermal bank, says K-Bank. Yeah, it's amazing. But I looked it up. I, I had to figure out why. And the answer is 10x. It's 10 times a better thermal bank than steel. So anyway, I'm approaching Nirvana where the coolant's 68 degrees, the machine is 68 degrees, the operator's 68 degrees, the the drink is 68 degrees. You know, we'll we'll get there. Of course, the, your your body is not 68 degrees. Yeah. So when you touch your parts. Now, I know you do a lot of metal grinding as well, but how much does temperature affect the stones or the result? That's a really good question. Um, I don't know. It's a, it, it, the stones are mostly aluminum oxide. So, oh, I did look it up. I don't remember the numbers, but the the, uh, the there's two numbers of interest. One is what we were talking about, which is heat capacity. Mm-hmm. I did not look that up. I looked up uh, thermal uh, coefficient, uh, coefficient of expansion, and aluminum oxide was kind of right in there with our metals. It wasn't terribly different. Okay. But I'll I'll take that as homework. Yeah. No, I'm just uh, curious. Yeah. Uh, and, and also, remember, I'm not grinding to dimension. I'm grinding to flat. Yeah. So it's a little bit less of a... Uh, but grinding to flat is also, you know, one of the one of the hard things to do when you've got temperature variation. Yep. That's why I, I, I encourage people to use coolant. Uh, 
at the very least, it uniforms the material, right? If you're if you have lots of flood coolant, yeah. uh, it's it's at least getting it thermally uniform. Whereas if you have no coolant, your your edges are going to get um, you know different temperature than than the middle of your of your part. Uh, almost asks you two don't use a mist coolant, do you? I started with mist coolant. Have you used mist coolant? No, I've uh, I've not used it. I I guess I guess I have used it. I, I picked up one of those. Uh, I think it's no, a Noga product, like a, a mini cool. Yeah, and uh, I tried to use it on the mill, um, and it was just such a mess. You know, yeah, it's in a big industrial space, but you know we're in a in a tiny shop in your basement. It's just. Uh, you know, I, it wasn't ideal. I, I like them. I, I think, uh, yeah, it makes a little a little mess, but it's nothing like, uh, you know, it's not, you're not using gallons. You're using, you know, a cup of, of, of stuff. So it's going to dribble somewhere. You got to clean it up. But from a thermal point of view, it it does a pretty good job. And, and uh, you know, adding a mist of water in the in the airstream now i understand because water has all this heat capacity um so my first year and a half of making stones was all with a mist uh with a mist coolant and that talk about a mess yeah that's got to be pretty rough with just that the... was a mess and and now with the uh with the flood coolant and and two stages of filtering it really is a joy because there's a lot of sludge that gets that gets cleaned out of there, uh, and I don't have to do it. <laughs> the machine's doing it. Yeah. Uh, almost says mist is so much cooler than flood, and I don't think he means from a sociological point of view. <laughs> uh, Tucker says Santa brought me a Noga Mini Cool for Christmas. Putting it on your grinder. Once, once the garage isn't an ice cube, and in Buffalo, New York, we call that August. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of the the mini cool. I think it was nice, but yeah, it is, it is a little messy. So uh, you have to provide for that. The other thing I like about it is you could, you could dial it in to be mostly air, or very wet, or somewhere in between. Another thing to keep in mind, uh, heat-wise, just since we're on the subject, is if you have an electromagnetic chuck, that will heat up the longer it's on. And one thing I learned this year is that it does not heat up in any sort of uniform way. And so one issue I found is... You know, if you have coolant running on the chuck, it it will keep the chuck pretty cool, other than what's ever underneath the part. So sometimes I'll have, um, very often I'll have like a new bolt spinner on there or a um, sign chuck. Yep. And whatever whatever space that 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 metal is covering is not going to be cooled down by the coolant. Um, so I've taken stuff off and felt the chuck where there were parts where there weren't and notice the difference you would wow. think that the temperature of the sign chuck or you know the spinner would would keep the temperature down but it actually moves and i noticed grinding a lot of a lot of stuff all day um that that spinner will will grow from the from the chuck wow so you, there's no way around it you still have to you still have to be on top of things yeah and and kentucky windaging it so um henry says my mag chuck is water cooled i thought that would be standard on every electronic mag chuck no it is not who's the manufacturer yeah who's the manufacturer henry and then uh we're getting asked about grinder shopping so that was we should pr probably finally get to the original intent here yeah <laughs> Um, so why don't you, uh, start filling us in on your thought process on grinder shopping? Okay. Now 
that might rehash some of the stuff that we talked about the other day. That's, That's okay. Okay. So I'm looking for a grinder now, primarily a tool room grinder. And I plan to kind of trick it out to my own purposes. In fact, um, you know, I put in a call to a special someone to see if uh, he'd be interested in helping me put together a grinder and uh, we'll see how that goes. But if it happens, you guys will be excited to watch the process, I'm sure. Um, so I think it's probably going to be a Mitsui or a Parker Majestic grinder. I want a six by 18, although I might not put an 18 inch chuck on it. A 12 inch chuck will accomplish everything I need work-wise and I, I would love to just have a little bit more space to measure parts while they're still on the, on the grinder, especially stuff, especially spinner work. I'd like to be able to move the spinner further away from the wheel <laughs> to get my hands in there to measure because it's always a nuisance. So I would mount, I would mount the chuck probably as far to the right as I could get away with. Um, what else? You know, I'm definitely going to run coolants on it, but most tool room grinders either don't run coolants or they'll have like a small 10 gallon coolant tank. And I'd like something bigger just to, you know, it'll, it'll take more to, to bring it up to temp, but I think it'll, it'll be more stable. Um, what else am I looking for? Lots of Z height because oftentimes when you're, when you're grinding just weird oddball stuff, you end up with a lot of a lot of setup blocks under the spindle. And if you're grinding like a 12 inch pin or something like that, and you're putting an angle on the head, you know that requires a lot of zinc height. Um, the the reason why I'm buying a new grinder because I do have a Herrig 612 that's in really just about perfect condition. It grinds great, but I, I intend to kind of put a lot of money into this grinder, a lot of effort, and there are certain things that I think will be just kind of a nuisance on the Herrig or that the Herrig doesn't have. Um, for example, I don't like the, the table locking mechanism on the Herrig. Um, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. There's a knob on the right side, and, and I remember there was an issue with uh, tightening it would actually either raise the table or push the table. I don't remember which way it yeah. went. So the other, you know, it also has like a tapered column, which means if you're setting up a DRO, you have to, you know, jump through your ass to figure out a solution. And now millions of people have put, you know, DROs on Herrigs. It's a super common grinder in the United States. So, yeah, you know, it's not a huge deal, but if I'm going to, Put a lot of money into something and it's going to be my daily driver it, it's not going to be it's not going to be that machine um so I, I i really like the mitsui's i use them i use them at work the the table locks really nice and the way the um the stops move you've got a little bit of adjustment mm -hmm. so if you're getting it close to the tangent point when you're doing uh round round grinding on there you can you can kind of finesse it into position what else? So I'm looking for something that's either very new or rebuilt. I'd even consider getting a new grinder. But ultimately, I want to have two grinders set up. One that's more basic for squaring up blocks, something I can set up and walk away from, so some sort of automatic grinder, and then a tool room grinder. Now, someday I'd like to have on CNC Parker Majestic, like the one that uh, that Adam the Machinist has, but those those are really pricey, and I have to have the work to justify it before I take that plunge. So there's a chance that I can figure out how to either add CNC to uh, an existing grinder, or um, there are some automatic options that would be good. But for right now, I, I'm looking for the tool room grinder. So. Um, you know, one of the big things I do is grinding uh, core pins. Yeah. And a lot of times you have to grind features onto those. Um, 
So uh, you mentioned you mentioned finding a grinder and then CNCing it, like retrofitting it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an opinion about that, <laughs> uh, and I know that I know at least one of the thoughts that are floating in your head, and I will, I'm not going to touch on our mutual friend, um, but uh, you know. I thought about that, and I I think, you know, if you're going to be a if you're going to be a machinist, a toolmaker, a producer of stuff, to take a complete detour and then start to mess around with CNC controls and and motors and stepper motors and stuff, I think that's a mistake. I think you should write the check. And and I'm a nerd, man. I, I yeah, I'm I'm the first guy that wants to dive into that crap. Um. So I'm a little, I'm a little cold on uh, if you if you'll pardon the thermal pun, uh, I'm a little cold on on CNCing something yourself, um, unless it's something you do every day. And if it's something you do every day, that's probably how you're making your money. So, uh, right. yeah. So, I mean, if I if I convert something to CNC, obviously I'm not going to do it myself. But if I go that route. Um, what I had in mind is something that won't affect the operation of the tool room grinder. I'll still be able to run it manually the way I want. I won't be able to do really fancy things like, you know, come to the tangent point of a spinner, you know, grind something and, yep. you know, dress, dress fancy angles. And But what I could do is just create a situation where on simpler stuff, I can walk away from it. Yeah. Uh, so it'd be kind of like an automatic grinder with a little bit more, you know, some more vari- variable control in it. But I, I do understand that. Yeah. That's- and, and I, of course, I would advocate for the, <laughs> only because I own one, for the Okamoto. Yeah. Um, don't forget, Tuck says, time is money may be more cost effective for you to pay for the CNC machine so you can immediately start paying it back. Just my two cents. It's four cents now, buddy. Inflation. <laughs> uh, just make sure your time is spent uh, costed to CNC converted. I, I think we're all agreeing. All right, Kevin. Take care. Yeah, we hit the top of the hour here. Um, See you later, man. Well, thanks for the update, uh, brother. Uh, I think I'm very excited for you, and of course, anything I can do to help, let me know. And I'm sure, if you're in need of opinions, our uh, our viewers have some. Yeah, Brian, and, agree- Brian yeah, agrees yeah. with Tuck. Sorry, go ahead. Maybe if I had a little time to run uh, an Okamoto CNC grinder, maybe I would change my mind. Yeah, I I've never had a chance to do that. And, well, if you find some time and you come out east not only will you get your hands on an okamoto acc 818 nc i have a room that you can stay in so well that is very generous and i think uh i think i'll take you up on that okay well i and there's several restaurants that need to uh have our business road trip it says almost absolutely (laughs) we like road trips uh I, I want to see how it works with, um, you know, with spinner work, and there are certain things that I'm not sure if it'll it'll work for me or not. Just because yeah. I don't know if the table positioning is mm-hmm. super accurate. Yeah, I've only done a little bit of um, of spinner work, uh, and you never have enough room for you know. For, for spinners that's just the way it is you you need a you need a 20 by 30 grinder so that you could fit all that crap in there but um yeah it, it's a matter of seeing what the machine does but the the offer stands uh, i like the okamoto guys i like okamoto uh, is based out of chicago and when you call up you get a real person and you get real you know good information i like that uh so yeah, we, we could talk about that offline, but yeah. it, it's just like buying a car. You have to go yeah. test drive it. Yeah, for sure. And see what but it's they like. They're big, like that eight eighteen. That's a big grinder. I saw one at a trade show. Well, well, hang on, because yeah, there's full enclosure. But was it an SA one 
or an ACC one. I think you saw an SA one. Okay. That's what that's what Grimsmo has. So mine is very is not much bigger than my Brown and Sharp was. Okay. I, it really isn't. In fact, the the error <laughs> I made one mistake when I did the layout in the shop and I, I said, Okay, this is how things are gonna fit, blah blah blah. Well, the the control the mount for the control sticks out and it's a hard mount to the electronics case. There's, there's no moving it. Well, the, you could rotate it, but you can't okay. like completely swing it out of the way. That was a mistake. I didn't know that. So it's not the it's not a huge deal, but it kind of killed some of the dynamics in my welding area because the idea was when I'm not using that, I can get it out of the way. Uh, it doesn't Is that work an option? No, but I think a real smart guy could redesign the mount. Yeah, and I, it's just the, it's like the old story of the of the hound dog on the farmer's porch howling and howling and howling, and finally a passerby comes over to the farmer and says, "I hear your dog howling. What's going on?" And the farmer on his rocking chair says, "Oh yeah, he's laying on a nail, and the dog's howling." He says, well, why doesn't the dog move? He says, it doesn't hurt that much. Yeah. <laughs> so so it doesn't hurt that much yet. That's the that's the problem. Anyway, uh, so my offer stands if you want to come out and play with the Okamoto. Um, and I can introduce you to the Okamoto people. I, I you know, hashtag not sponsored. <laughs> so uh, there you go. Well, we better wrap it up because uh, we, we did it. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you for joining, and I, I hope everybody enjoyed the discussion, and I hope everybody enjoyed the quality of the technology uh, here today because I think it's a lot nicer than it was last time. And we'll be doing more of this and maybe get some more some more guests in. I so with that, go ahead. Next week I have a surprise for you. <laughs> next time. I, okay. I just picked up something the other day that's pretty exciting. but uh... Okay waited too long we'll leave it as a surprise and that and that could work all right guys uh have a great sunday thank you aaron thank you for everybody Pleasure. who came to uh, support us and we'll see you guys next week on the pfg Pleasure. live we'll see we'll see you guys next week